All right, we got Hannah reading in English and Spanish, Espanol. Um, and so can you guys encourage her as she gets ready to read? Romans 11, verses 33 through 35. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Romanos capítulo 11, versículo 33 hasta 35. Oh, profundidad de las riquezas de la sabiduría y la ciencia de Dios. Cuán insondables son sus juicios e escrutables son sus caminos. Porque ¿quién entendió la mente del Señor? ¿O quién fue su consejero? ¿O quién le dio a él primero para que le fuese recompensado? Uh, just a couple of reminders before we get into the word um, that FPU class, Financial Peace University, um, I want to encourage you guys to uh, sign up for uh, that class. It's going to help you uh, create a budget and get your finances together. Amen. Anybody ever need to help with their finances? I know I have. Ain't no shame at all in that. Um, also, uh, at our information booth, we try to keep a, a church calendar there um, so that you know what's going on and so you see the information booth if you need a church calendar. We also have little cards out there as well for the month of January, all the different things that we have uh, coming up. Uh, we have uh, a marriage conflict re resolution class coming up. All the married people say amen. Uh, so we got that coming, a workshop coming up in January. You want to look out for that. We're also having a special uh, spoken word night um, at the end of January called Love Jones. You are not going to want to miss out on that. Uh, and so we just got some cool stuff coming up and some things to really help uh, your life holistically. And I, I pray that it's a, a blessing for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. I just consider it an honor and a privilege week in and week out to get up here and to preach your word. What a joy it is. Um, to encourage your body in this way. Uh, your word is so beautiful and so sweet. Uh, I pray that it would do for them what it did for me in preparation and that it would transform, enlighten, and draw them closer to you. Um, words cannot express the magnitude and magnificence of your word. Um, and I pray that it would uh, just spread in this church. It would be pervasive in this church. Um, and that it will be the very thing that we eat and breathe, the word of God. I ask this in Jesus' name. And the saints say it. Amen. Amen. Uh, something happens when water, seed, soil, and sunlight all meet together. That something is life emerging from the dark. Something happens when an R&B singer... The love of his life and a great instrumental beat all meet at the same time. And that something is, ooh, yeah. Oh, y'all act like y'all know what I'm talking about. That, friends, is an inexpressible word of love in one's heart. Something happens when two lovers, a marriage and a honeymoon all meet. That something is a child, a result, an expression of their love. Friends, 
if you get the right something coming together with something, something new might emerge from those somethings. And that something is the goal of those things coming together. And that something is the aim or the goal of those things coming together. Well, something ought to happen as well when theology and saving faith and the stark reality of whose we are all meet together. And that something is doxology. Allow me to slow down and explain each of these ingredients that make up doxology. What is theology? Well, theology, simply put, is the study of God. Theology is an effort to understand who God is. Oh, that's big and heavy right there. Theology is the journey to understand who God is. And what is saving faith? I love the way Spurgeon puts it. Faith is believing that Christ is what he, what he said to be, theology, and that he will do what he has promised to do and then to expect this of him. Theology, saving faith, and the last ingredient, whose we are. Sinners. I know you was looking for something special and spontaneous, but that's all I got for you. Whose we were. We were sinners. Okay, now let's put all of those together. Theology is the study of God, the means by which we learn who God is. We have learned in Romans, God is a gracious God. Saving faith is believing in this gracious God, his promises, and expecting him to fulfill them. And what is the great promise of Romans? Those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. From what? The wrath of God to come. And who needs a promise like that? Sinners! And where can you find one of those? Don't look any further. Then yourself. And what do you feel right now in your heart? Hopefully, doxology. And what is doxology? Doxology is the soul's response to who God is. It is the ooh yeah response to theology. I thought I'd get an amen right there. Doxology is a praise response to who God is in light of recognizing whose we are. When we study God, our end goal is not to know a bunch of facts and to quote a bunch of verses. God is not a science project. God will be worshipped. It's not enough. To stack your brain with scripture and never have a heartfelt response to the living God. The only thing people that don't respond to God are dead people. But thank God he can raise the dead. We want to have our own ooh yeah moment in God. We want to have a song that rises up in us, do we not? It's like this one scientist who happens to be an atheist who gazed at creation and said, it almost draws you into worship. 
There's something about seeing God rightly that causes the reflex of the soul to want to worship. And if worship doesn't become a decision the moment you see God, it's a reflex the moment you see God. Let me say it in a way that you'll speak back to me. It's as, as if when you see God the way that you ought to see God, you can't help yourself but to worship him. You can't help yourself but to shout. Okay, you're not with me. Okay, when you had a football game and your team scores the touchdown, you don't say, I wonder if I'm going to shout in this moment. No, you don't do that. The reflex of the soul is a shout because that's what happens when the soul encounters greatness. Something ought to happen. I feel like preaching this morning. Uh, ought to be a conviction down in us. His friends, it's what happened to Paul in our text today at the end of a Roman, Romans 11. His theology led him to his doxology. It is as if the preacher got touched by the same sermon he was preaching. Because <laughs> that's the power of the word. It doesn't just hit those whom it's being preached to. It hit the very individual that's preaching it. Paul started off writing to the church of Rome about how the gospel works in its intricate details. While enlightening them, God illuminated him. Or answers his own altar call. Paul writes himself, a love offering himself. Uh, Paul said it was so good that he answered his own altar call. <laughs> I'm preaching better than y'all talking to me. You know it's good when the preacher give an altar call and he come down off the podium and come to his own altar call. It is as if church... That at the end of Romans 11, Paul stops writing and he has a praise break. I know y'all don't believe in that because y'all sophisticated and y'all cute. But there are some of us that when we're in our house, we'll let me come to you, painting our house. And all of a sudden that worship song come on. And you got to put the paintbrush down because you got to give them praise in that moment. <laughs> you didn't expect it to come. You was chilling. You just turned on your worship music, and out of nowhere, you in that place worshiping God. Some of y'all water bill went up because you was in the shower too long. Worshiping God. You went to Nipsco and say, you're going to have to take this off. I, I, I was worshiping God right here. See that little bracket right there? Oh, me and the Lord. You're going to take that off. Lord going to pay for that one. Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't do that because that, that's... That's not going to work. You ain't going to have no water, don't. Don't. It might. It might. It, it might. I heard Frankie said it might. They better underline that might. I ain't sitting next to you. I know that much. All right, back to the word. Back to the word. Friends. 
Doxology starts with O. Doxology starts with, with O. In all of Paul's studying of Scripture, he came into a face-to-face encounter with God. Friends, do you know when you come to the Bible that you're not just coming to a book with words on the page? We must understand this. That you're coming to the greatest person who can be known. What does Paul encounter as he studies and explains God? He says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable are his ways. Uh, Listen, for the three qualities of God, riches, wisdom, and knowledge are all described by this word, depth. But he says, oh, the depths. So deep, there is no defining this depth, but rather marveling at it. Paul is like, God is really deep. No, 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 no. He's really, 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 really times in affinity deep. So he says, oh. My son, Dakai, he's in swimming. Come on, all the swimming parents in here. Come on. I pray for you as you pray for me. Swimming, swimming, I had you up there all the whole weekend. The Kai at times, if you, if, if you go to his practice uh, and Cameron and them, am I right? Sometimes they're swimming in 13 feet of water. And if you were to just walk up to the edge of the pool, you can see the bottom. And you say, that's pretty deep. But if you go to the deepest place on earth, which is the Mariana Trench, which is 36,000 feet deep, you say, wow, that's super deep. But when it comes to God, you just say, oh, and you don't put a number to it. (laughs) When you come to God, you do not define his depth. Your soul just sort of goes, oh. And you just stagger in complete amazement. And I got good news for you, that you're going to be staggering over the reality of who God is for all eternity. For it will take a finite being in eternity to discover an infinite God. He is deep. I'm still trying to get past the ism of God, that God is. I know some of y'all sophisticated, y'all took biology and psychology, and y'all up on that, that at PhD level, but I'm still stuck at a two-letter word, is. I mean, you mean to tell me, let me, let me get this right, let me get this right, that God never had a beginning, and he And he doesn't have an end. 
Okay, so what you're telling me, if I carry the one, move the decimal point over, scoot over about three spaces, what you're telling me is that this God is outside of time. Is that what you're telling me? That's what I'm telling you. Okay, so you're telling me that he's outside of matter in space as well? Yes, that's what I'm telling you. And so can you explain to me how this God came into existence? All I can say is he just is. If is doesn't get your doxology going, nothing else will. No beginning, no end. He just is. We can get into the necessity of God. That God is just assumed in Scripture because God is necessary in order for anything else to be in existence. If there is no God, there is nothing else. He's the ultimate in reality. That all other realities are contingent upon the ism of God. I mean, my boy Job, writing in the Bible, and Job is caught up, y'all, y'all ain't going to believe this. Job is caught up on rain, y'all. He says, God's so great, check out the rain. Y'all not impressed. If one inch of rain falls on one square mile of farmland during the night, that would be over 27 million cubic feet of water, which is about 206 million gallons, which is over a billion and a half pounds of water. That's heavy. So how does it get up to the sky and stay up there? We couldn't get that much water up there if we tried to. Well, it gets up there by evaporation. Really? That's a nice word. What does that mean, class? <laughs> Means that water sort of stops being water, although it's still water for a while so that it can go up there. Yeah. Then how does it come down? Well, that's called condensation. What's that? The water starts to become water again by gathering around little dust particles between 0. .00001 and 0. .0001 centimeters wide. That's small. And how does it fall? Oh, the depths of the riches of the glory of God. I'm stuck on rain, y'all. Can you imagine encountering this God who brain does stuff like that? I had an out-of-body experience moment writing this sermon. I said, guess what, Dexter? You're an intelligent being writing a sermon right now. You have consciousness. You didn't create yourself. God created. Y'all need to slow down and watch the greatness of God all around you. Paul says, oh, the crazy part is we say, oh, the 13 feet of water, but we can't say, oh, when it comes to God. And the only people who say, oh, to 13 feet of water and not, oh, to God is blind people. It's the only explanation. There is no other explanation 
for you not owing at God. You do not owe at God. You are oh so blind. Watch this. In the Gospel of John, there's a story about a blind man. Here it is. As he passes by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciple asked him, Rabbi, who's seeing this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not this man, sin, or his parents, but the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Shalom, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Okay, I want you to get the picture here. Here's Jesus, him and his disciples. They're chilling. They're walking. You know, Jesus was a human being, and he did normal things. You know, he didn't just sit up in the church at the altar just praying all the time like sometimes we picture it. No, but Jesus actually does life like we did life, which means he ate with people. He hung with people, and here they are. They're walking, and here comes a blind man, and the disciples say, who sinned? Because that was the understanding in their culture that if somebody has something bad happen to them, it's because they sin. We need to pick up on that because there's a lot of bad teaching out here that says that if you got tragedy that comes in your life, it's because of sin. But the Bible ain't in that category. Sometimes God will allow things to happen to you so that he can get some glory out of the situation. What he's trying to show you is that you're not the center of the universe and so that if God wants to send trouble your way, he'll send trouble your way just so that the heaven and earth may praise him. But anyways, anyhow, here it is. There's a blind man. And so Jesus says what? He says, no, this man didn't sin. This is for the glory of God. So Jesus spits in the mud and he mixes that mud and, and he gives them a prescription. He wipes it on his eyes. He doesn't send them to, he doesn't send them to Walgreens. He, he didn't send them to CVS. He sent them to the pool. The man went to the pool. He washed and the man came back seeing, y'all. Okay, you didn't shout. When the last time you spit in the mud? And something happened. No. So the man comes back seeing. But here's the thing. We get caught up on the miracle, the physical miracle, and we do not see the spiritual lesson that Jesus is trying to teach. And so what happens? Does this man really see, see? No, he doesn't see, see yet, but how do we know when he's actually seeing? Hold on. I'm going to teach it to you in a minute, but here it is. Everybody's arguing about whether this man can see or not, and you know who's arguing the most? The Pharisees. You know Jesus got into it with church folks more than he got into it with anybody. Ain't that something right there? Oh, that'll preach right there. God got more issue with the folks in the church than the folks in the street. 
Here's the Pharisees. They pose a no scripture inside and out. I mean, they can quote you anything that needs to be quoted in scripture. But you know that you can know scripture and not know God. But you cannot know scripture and know God. Oh, that's something you'll figure out on your way home. Because there's a you have you can actually quote scriptures and not know the Jesus of scripture. I'm going to drop a new word on y'all. Some of y'all probably never heard it. Some of y'all forgot about it. It's called the Holy Spirit. I know y'all don't believe in the Holy Spirit no more. But, but, but it ain't just about reading the Bible because the Bible is divine. It takes, the, it takes the movement of the Holy Spirit in order for you to see what the text is actually saying. So the blind man, though physically healed, is not seeing yet. And Jesus juxtapositions him with the Pharisees who should be seen, but they don't see. What's the difference? How do we know whether a person sees or not? Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Your eyes should be coming open. We're getting closer. Here it is. Hold your shout. Jesus said to him, you have seen him. It is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him so that the distinguishing mark of those who see God and those who don't see God is those who worship him and those who don't. The distinguishing mark is between those who say, oh, and those who say, what you talking about, Willis? That to see rightly starts with seeing God. That if you get God wrong, you get everything else wrong. You cannot define anything apart from God. Everything derives its meaning from him. So if you got God wrong, you got your life wrong. You got your marriage wrong. You got your finances wrong. Everything is upside down until you say, oh. (laughs) He was blind, but now he sees. And when he sees, he begins to worship God. But blind man, what did you see? That made you oh. Paul tells us number one, oh, God is rich. <laughs> First, God owns all that exists that is not God. Let me say that again. God owns all that exists that is not God. Psalm 24:1 is the most familiar statement of this truth. You guys remember this. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world 
in those who dwell therein. But I love the way Deuteronomy 10:14 puts it. It is far more sweeping and far more breathtaking. Deuteronomy takes us to another level. He says, "Behold, to the Lord your God belongs the heavens of the heavens of the heavens, the earth and all there is in it." Come on, Deuteronomy. No, not only do he own heaven, he own the heavens of heaven. So not only does God own the earth and all that's in it, including you, including you, let me move in a little bit more, including you, but he also owns the reaches of space and the heavens beyond the heavens with all his angelic armies. In other words, nothing exists outside of God that is not God. He owns it. And he may do with it what he pleases. Let me ask you this. Who riches have you marveled at lately? Who was the last person you called stupid rich? Well, it doesn't get any stupider than this. And when we say stupid rich, that means they so rich, we can't make sense out of it. God so rich, we truly Cannot make sense out of it. You know you rich when your breath creates what you need. You know you rich when you speak and things come into existence. You know you rich when your raw material is nothingness. Oh, you know you rich. God is so rich, he's filthy rich. Which is why you ought not fret when you ain't got something. Because your daddy is stupid rich. I wish I had some people in this place that learned to lean on God a long time ago. You stop worrying. You stop trusting in yourself. When, when, when there was no food in the cabinet. When you didn't know where the next paycheck would come through. through. People seen you smiling. And they wonder why you were smiling. And you said because my God is stupid rich. You don't know how rich he is. But God ain't just rich. Because he owns everything. God is infinitely rich because of who he is. I'm preaching better than they talking to me. Which means that God's value doesn't go up and down based on things outside of himself. Doesn't matter if earth pass away. Doesn't matter if the heavens of the heavens pass away. The value of God remains the same because his value is not contingent on what he made, but it's contingent on who he is. And if you know God like I know God, God will never change, which means he's the most infinite and most valuable being in the universe. Y'all lose y'all coat. My bad, Sarah. Y'all lose y'all shoes, lose y'all job, and y'all feel like y'all ain't worth nothing. But even your human value is rooted in God. 
I got good news for you. That means that you don't lose value based on no promotion, based on no job. And you ain't got to put on no Prada and no Gucci in order for you to have value. All you need is the God of the Bible, and that is enough. Which is why it was ridiculous that they will reduce human de- humans down to animals and call African Americans three-fourths slaves because it's ridiculous. Because every man, every boy, every girl is made in the image of God. And therefore we have inherent worth and inherent value. And if that doesn't blow you away, not only... As God rich within himself. But God, watch it, church. Hold your shout. This is Ephesians 1 7. Hold on to yourself. Because here it comes. Here it comes, Ken. He's rich in grace. Y'all ought to start shouting in this place. Somebody ought to start celebrating in this place. Because your life is a living testimony. That God is rich in grace because you know good and well. He should have been done with you a long time ago. He should have threw you away a long time ago. Your life is a living testimony that God is rich in grace. Now you know. Now you know that you know. That it takes somebody with a lot of grace to deal with you. Come on, am I telling the truth, Chris? That I, 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 know, I know me, okay? It just don't take no any God to deal with Dexter. That's why I can't go to no other religion. Ain't enough grace. I can't go. I ain't going nowhere else. It's not enough grace. I need grace. Don't send me nowhere else where it ain't no grace. Because I ain't going to make it. I'm not, I'm not going to make it. He's rich in grace. He's also rich in kindness. And he's rich in glory. Let me tell y'all something. God got glory ain't nobody saying. God got glory that ain't even entered into the mind of man. God got glory the angels ain't seen. God got glory on glory. And then Paul says, not only oh is he rich, oh is he wise in wisdom and in knowledge. He says, God just keeps on getting better. He says, wisdom and knowledge here in Romans eleven thirty three. 33. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Part of what makes God so wealthy is the infinite wisdom and knowledge that he has. What's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Sometimes in the Bible, they are almost interchangeable. But generally, knowledge is the awareness of facts and wisdom is the awareness of how to use those facts for good goals. In fact, King Solomon knew this, that God was rich in wisdom and knowledge. Young King Solomon became the king of Israel. And when he became the king of Israel, he didn't ask God for riches. He didn't ask for none of that. He said, God, make me wise. Because he knew God was rich in wisdom. 
which is why I don't know why some of y'all don't just ask God for some wisdom. You remember when you were younger and you was hungry and somebody had some chips, you say, can I get one? Can I get a chip? That's the same thing. You ought to go to God at times and say, God, I know you got wisdom. I know you got knowledge. I don't know what to do in this circumstance or in this situation, but I know that you, God, will lead me. The Bible says that the word of God makes wise the simple. Even simple folks get wise from reading the word of God. Paul says, oh, the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God. But let's get in context here because the reason why Paul is owing at the wisdom and the knowledge of God is because God's work in salvation. We've been in Romans for two years and we're still owing over our salvation. We have yet to reach, reach the bottom of our salvation. I take you back to chapter one when Paul opened up and he talked about the wrath of God over all humanity that every sinner that ever lived will face the judgment in the wrath of God because we fall short of the glory of God. But wait a minute. God in his infinite wisdom had a plan for us only in the divine mind of God could this be thought up and so God merges with humanity we call it the hypostatic union and so God becomes man and he comes down that's why we've been celebrating that baby in the manger that was God's plan that's on to chapter 3 because he becomes the atonement for us and in his atonement we find out that we have peace with God chapter 5 that we are no longer enemies of God but we are at peace with God if we have faith in God God wipes away all of our sin but the gospel gets better look at God wisdom here because not only did God save you from the penalty of sin but he saved you from the power of sin so not only does he take away your guilt he gives you the power to walk in righteousness oh but it gets better because if you turn the page and you go over to chapter 8 you'll find out that he indwelt us with the Holy Spirit so that we won't shrink back into fear. I'm so glad that God's house is now in the inside of me. And I don't know about you, but every now and again, I feel him moving in me. I feel him, I feel him sanctifying me and changing me. And you flip over to chapter 9 and Paul says, hey, check it out. The promise started with a little man in the book of Genesis named Abraham. And God promised that he would bless nations through Abraham. But it started with one man and that thing start that salvation began to move through the earth and you begin to see the way that God's been weaving it first he went to the Jewish people now he's at the Gentiles but he's not done with the Jewish people because he's using the Gentiles to reach the Jewish people and we're using the Jewish people to reach the Gentiles and Paul says oh because that's wisdom right there Paul, oh, some mo. Y'all may get that mo. He says, how unsearchable and unscrutable. In the Greek, these are nearly synonym. Both refers to something unknowable, incomprehensible, and unfathomable. And what of God is unsearchable? His judgments and his ways. And here's what Moses had to learn himself. God Moses' request, you're going to send us into the promised land. God, do not send me over there without your presence. Then Moses had the, he it is, Ken, he had the unmitigated gall. I've been wanting to say that all week. 
he had the unmitigated gall to ask God, show me your glory. Hold on, Moses. You, you sure you want to see the glory of God? Moses, yes. I want to see your glory. God says, I tell you what. Come in, Mo. Because you're my boy and because I love you, I'll show you some of my glory. I can't show you all of my glory because you couldn't take all of my glory. If I showed you all of my glory, you'll die. So this is what I'm going to do, Mo. I'm going to hide you off in the cleft of the rock. And I'm going to pass by you, and I'm going to let you see my backside. And when God started moving, the mountain started shaking. You can feel it. The little pebbles of rock started dancing. Because not only can we not take his glory, creation cannot take his glory. Nobody can take his glory. Moses says, show me your glory. And God says, I'll show you. My backside. My friends and family, no one shows us the glory of God like the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible is clear that all of the treasures and wisdom and knowledge of God is hidden in Jesus. So that Jesus is the apex of God's glory. This is what he tells his disciples. They say, show us the Father. And Jesus says, have you not been with me long enough that if you've seen the Father, you've seen me? That Jesus is the ultimate picture of God. This is what little Johnny learned in his art class, friends. Little Johnny was told to do abstract art. Little Johnny got the drawing. He got scribbling all over the paper. And the teacher pulls up on little Johnny, and she says, little Johnny, what are you drawing? Little Johnny says, I'm drawing a picture of God. The teacher says, no one knows what God looks like. And little Johnny responded, by the time I'm done, they'll know what God looks like. <laughs> Friends, I came to tell you this morning that God wants to use your life to draw a picture of what he looks like, which means that your doxology ought to paint a picture of what he looks like. And if your worship is not deep enough and not high enough, then you're not getting people the picture of Jesus that they ought to see. When they look at your worship, they ought to know that he's the bread of life. When they look at your worship, they ought to know that he's the living water. When they look at your picture, they ought to know that he's the lion of Judah. When they look at your worship, they ought to know who God is. I wonder if I had some people in here that knew how to worship him, that knew how to lift up their hands who knew how to lift up their voices, who knew how to praise God because you had an old moment with God. You couldn't explain your old moment. You couldn't articulate your old moment. But you one day, you had your own old moment. And when it hit you, it hit you. You couldn't express it. You couldn't articulate it. All you can say is, oh, he's good. I'm talking about that old moment. When you finally get past the religion, when you finally get past the game, 
when you finally get past just brushing up against your Bible and you start swimming in it. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the moment when him saying he's the bread of life is not just him saying it. <laughs> but now it's something that you're living. I'm talking about when we get past standing on our own righteousness. And you begin to realize that he is your righteousness. I'm talking about getting past saying Christianese language. When you begin to weep with your soul that I cannot live without him. Do I got some people in the room that know what I'm talking about? Oh, Peter says, although you have not seen him, you have not encountered him, but you are filled with an inexpressible joy and an inexpressible love. I wish I had some saints in here who really knew how to worship God, who knew how to give it all over to God, who knew how to lay it all out to God. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of playing church games. I'm tired of just showing up for program, but I want to know him if he said that I can know him. Well, God, show me your glory. Oh, that ought to be your request, not in 2020, but that ought to be your request right now. God, show me your glory. This is what Nicodemus learned. Now, Nicodemus, unless you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. This is what the woman of the well learned. That apart from Jesus, you will continue to thirst because he's the living water. I'm talking about when you get past just handing out water to everybody else. And you start drinking it for yourself. I'm talking about late in the midnight hour. When God wakes you up out of your sleep. And God begins to show you that word that you've been meditating on is not just words on a book, but this is a living God, that his word is living and active, sharper than any double. Can I preach this thing this morning? God wants to reveal himself to some people in this place. Oh, God is done with you just playing church games. God wants to make himself known to you. God wants to restore you and refresh you. Oh, this is what David said. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Let me talk to God for a minute, y'all. God, we're asking that you restore the joy of our salvation in this place. We're asking through the face of the Son, Jesus Christ. And you reveal your glory in this place. Father, would you forgive us of the idols that we got stacked up in our hearts? Father, would you forgive us for thinking less of you than the carpet in our houses? Father, would you remind us of how great you are? Because some of us are so wore out and we're so tired. Because we've been trying to live life without you. And we got to admit that things are falling apart and they're looking really, really, really bad. 
And if one more thing piles on top of us, we're going to crack right down the middle. But we know with you, God, that we'll mount up on wings like eagles. That we'll run and not be weary. Because you are more than enough. Teach us how to owe at you again. Take us back to the basics. Back to the foundation when we were like kids and we marveled at you. When we looked at the grass and marveled at you. When we looked at the sun and we marveled at you. When we looked at the moon and we marveled at you. When we read your scriptures and we marveled at you. Take us back to the basics where we delighted in you. When, when we couldn't leave our house without reading your word. Take us back to the basics, oh God. Take us back to when we used to owe at you. When you preach on doxology, the best thing you can do is to do doxology, which is to worship God. Anybody want to worship this God this morning?